On today's show, we have a very inspiring guest. Her name is Alun Rambumi. She is a returned Peace Corps volunteer from the Republic of Moldova, an attorney with experience working with asylum seekers and has a passion for immigration law. She has ran two marathons. She is an incredible writer, which we will talk about more. And she also just made a huge leap and moved internationally, moved abroad during this pandemic. So you need to stick around if you want to know where she moved to. Thank you so much for joining us today, Alun Rambumi. Thank you for having me. You know, every day I spend with Angela is a day of greatness and of joy. So I'm just so honored to be here. The feeling's mutual. So you're one of the first people that we're interviewing for the Inspired Storytime series for our season three. Yes. So the vibe that I want to be giving our listeners is kind of this feeling of coziness as we kind of end winter and kind of enter into spring, right? Some of us are at home. I want people to get in the vibe when they're listening, whether they're taking a walk or just relaxing. So my first question for you is what makes you feel cozy? What makes me feel cozy? Honestly, it sounds trite and cliche, but a hot cup of tea, Um, mainly because I just like run cold. So anytime like something is warming my body and being in just like a full like wrapped up blanket and watching rain from like inside of an apartment. Like I'm not like averse to like inclement weather, which I think is a stereotype of Southern Californians, but I just need to be inside when it's happening. Yes, you hit like all you hit all my points. I love those. Those are great. Yes, I don't drink a cold beverage, but we'll get to that in another show. But I love that. We like already got there, but you're telling me that you get more intense into it. Yeah, that'll be for later. I offered her a seltzer before the show, and she's like, "How fucking dare you?" Which I still love seltzer, but. What's funny? I don't drink cold beverages when it's cold. Like I've never understood that concept. When it's like, you know, it's 30 degrees outside and people are drinking like an ice latte. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Oh, well, come come to Boston. You'll see it. Yeah. yeah it's, I, it's, I, just, I can't do that live. It's, it's sad. Okay. So second question is, what are you manifesting for 2021? Oh, so my, I decided, even though, so my birthday is in January. Um, so I'm kind of fortunate in the sense that like my year resets at the new year. Um, and I used to, I kind of do yearly goals, not as much as New Year's resolutions, but for 2021, I said my theme for this year will be like execute. No, what is it? Oh my goodness. I forgot it. It's, it's like execution with immaculate precision or something. No, follow through with immaculate execution. That's what my theme is. Follow through with immaculate execution. Um, and so that's what I'm just like manifesting for 2021. It's just like all these, cause I, I think I'm a great ideas woman, but I, in a form of self critique, do need to just follow through on those ideas diligently and kind of pick myself up when I need to. So that's what I'm doing is just follow through with immaculate execution. That's what I'm manifesting for 2021. I love that. That should be a hashtag tweet Thank it. You. That's great. So let's get started. Let's just learn a little bit more about your upbringing, your background, and then we'll dive into more about what you're currently doing. Oh, embrace yourself now. Let's proceed. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to know? Where do you want me to start? So where where are you from originally? 
because you mentioned right, Southern so, California. Yeah, so your girl was born, um, I'm assuming on a hot day because it's Los Angeles, um, in January in Los Angeles. I was actually born in a car. Um, my dad, yeah, my dad, um, I guess my, maybe he was probably frantic and freaking out in retrospect now that I'm an adult and I can understand that. But the way I told the story as a child was that he didn't want to ask for directions. So I was born in a gas station um, in South Central. And then I was taken um, to the hospital. Um, so for context of what I'm going to tell you, this next part is my dad is an immigrant from Nigeria. My mother is from Missouri in the Midwest. They met on a bus in Los Angeles, California, because LA in the 80s was a time to be alive. And um, they didn't allegedly believe that my mother had just given birth to me in the United States. I guess they very ignorantly had thought she'd come up from the U.S.-Mexican border, which is odd because my mother's like Black and Native American and she looks African-American. Um, so they weren't going to admit me to the hospital. And like the ambulance driver had to like beg them to um, admit my mother and me to the hospital, only for my mother to admit me to the hospital for the nurses to be on strike. Um, <laughs> actually it's a long it's a goal that I actually need to follow through with um I do want to get the footage of this because apparently I was on the news and that is the story of how Lord came into the world do you know that no one will ever be able to beat that birth story ever again <laughs> jeez <laughs> yeah and that was that so and let's see. So I spent pretty much my whole life in California. We moved around a lot. So actually, I think I lived in 14. Like I'd moved 14 times or lived in 14 different places or something by the age of like 18. Um, and then I did my undergraduate career at the University of Southern California. Go Trojans, um, despite our recent scandals. And <laughs> I'm not aware. <laughs> then we'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I moved to Chicago uh, for a couple of years, which I didn't love. Um, I came back to Los Angeles. I completed and graduated law school at Southwestern Law School. I did a lot with public interest. So in law school, I worked for the DOJ at the federal level in DC. I worked for the California uh, Department of Justice, which is the California DOJ. I worked in the LA County District Attorney's Office. Um, I work basically. I've always just worked in the public sector for the most part, and then so I you're graduated. you're sixty three years old. Jeez. <laughs> <Like, laughs> <laughs> um, and then what did I do? I graduated. I worked for a year, and then I came into the Peace Corps, um, where I met the wonderful, the extraordinary, the incomparable, and just me. Um, which I can recall that story as it happened minute by minute. And yeah, now I'm, I, I came back to America and I worked for a year in the private sector. Well, I left, I left Moldova to work in Greece with asylum seekers. And that was an extraordinary experience and probably one of the best, if not the best professional experience I've ever had. To return to the United States, to work in the private sector, to be laid off and then to come to Turkey. So, oh, I spoke this far. No, it's good. You, We wanted you to tell tell it. So I love it. You have so many good tidbits. So what brought you or what got you into law, studying law? And what, what made you, when was the moment where you knew that you wanted to study law? Well, I've been interested. It's kind of one of those things I'd want to be a lawyer since I was little. But I don't know if you're like supposed to. I, I watched. So the trial of the century was like the OJ Simpson trial. 
Um, and so that happened when I was in about third grade, second and third grade to date myself. And I was actually watching it during recess with the secretary, the school secretary, which in retrospect, I realized how inappropriate that was. But it was the like everybody was watching this trial, like everybody, and for so many different reasons. And I think I was just thoroughly impressed with Johnny Cochran, um, whose name I did not know, but I was like, there's this really intelligent man on screen and I want to be like him. And I think the secretary looked at me and she was like, well, he's a lawyer. And I was like, I want to be a lawyer. And that's where the seed was planted. And I just, I never deviated from that. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's intense. That's amazing. At such a young age, how old were you? I was probably seven. Like seven wow. or six. Yeah, and I was just like, I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be a lawyer. And I'm someone, it's like, when I have a goal, and it's not always my best quality, I can be very single-mindedly focused on that goal. Mm-hmm. And so there was just like no alternative. Like I was going to be a lawyer. And that was that. No, I love that. And what then brought you to uh, to travel and then also brought you into your writing? So I'll do the travel one first. I think I've always just wanted to live outside the United States. I think I wanted to be in the world. It's one critique I do have of my fellow Americans is we're not as global as we should be. Um, I just, it's, you know, we're not encouraged to go out in the world. We're not encouraged to study abroad. We're not encouraged to work abroad. I also think it's a bit of a class thing, unfortunately, because we don't have a strong social safety net in the United States the way other countries do. We can't just like pick up and leave. And unlike people, I feel like the rest of the world is closer to each other. Like we have like Canada and Mexico, and those are the only two countries that are really next to us. <laughs> um, so I wanted to just kind of be in the world for a while. And then in my last year of law school, as I had said, you know, I did all these different internships, but literally it was like February, which is very late by a law school standard. I decided what I was really interested in was international human rights. <laughs> And to put this in perspective, most lawyers or law school graduates have their jobs secured in September. So it's like February and I'm making this decision. So we're, we're behind the curve. And I sat and said, how can I do that? Like how I need international experience somehow. And since I just had this background in the public sector, I knew someone in university who had done Peace Corps. She's actually the only person who did Peace Corps. She did Peace Corps Cameroon. And I was like, oh, I'll apply to the Peace Corps. And then I started that arduous journey, Angela knows. <laughs> and because <laughs> I applied in May of 2016 to be accepted in November of 2016, to finally receive clearance and approval to leave for everything in April of 2017, to depart in June 2017. This was like a year-long process. Yeah, it's it's a lot. And did you, was Moldova your number one choice? I know I've asked you this, but I want you to retell it. (laughs) So as they say, I didn't choose Moldova. Moldova chose me. (laughs) Exactly. I wanted to go to Ukraine, which I actually, this is a, a moment of growth. I was fixated with the fact that there was a conflict there, which I realize is really inappropriate now, but I wanted to be kind of like where the quote revolution was. Again, that's very gross and I now understand that. But I wanted to be in a place of like change because I'm a political scientist. And so I was like, oh, I want to be in Ukraine because you know, there are these things happening and they're in a position where they're going to be rebuilding their society and that's really exciting. And then Peace Corps said, well, you're not really like qualified for Ukraine. That 
statement in of itself is a whole nother episode of the podcast, but whatever. <laughs> then they were going to send me to Kosovo. So I was like all excited and looking up stuff about like Kosovo and like Sarajevo and like, you know, that, you know, the history of that and all these things. And then I get this email and they're like, you're under consideration for Moldova. And faster than I've ever done anything in my life, I did control T so fast and said, where is Moldova? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just like, just like I did when Angela told me she was going there. <laughs> right. <laughs> And turns out it is right next to Ukraine. Who knew? <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> so that's how we got to Moldova, girl. I see. I see. So tell us. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your Peace Corps experience. I know that this could also be a full episode, a full five episodes. But tell us a little bit about what you experienced. Well, let's, we have so many different faucets of that, like in terms of friendship as a black woman and my experience overall, um, should we start with the bad and end with the good or start with the good and end with the bad? You can start with the bad. That's fine. Yeah. So Peace Corps was a really trying experience for me just because it was the paragon of Murphy's law. Um, everything could go wrong, did go wrong and it did go wrong in very severe degrees. Um, I would actually like to know, because I've kind of, now that I'm removed from Moldova, I think I have a slightly more flattering, like, picture of it. Because when we, as Angela remembers, when I had to leave Moldova, I had to leave. Like, for the sake of my mental health, I had to leave Moldova the day I left. I could not have been there one more day. Because we like, had vacation time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was, like, at that level. Because some people, like, I remember, Angela, you took a couple more days to kind of, like, you know, be around the city and stuff. Some people went to um, Transnistria, which is this de facto breakaway territory that uh, we weren't allowed to visit as volunteers because it's not recognized by the United Nations. I need to go west. I was like, it's time to leave. It's been real. I don't want to jump jump uh, into anything too much, but did you ever consider leaving before your time was up? I did. You know, so something... I am known as someone who is tenacious and I would argue to a fault. And I think that was one of the most important lessons Moldova taught me. And so I definitely, there was like a moment. And so we'll kind of maybe jump around a bit. So Angela, you'll have to guide me. There was an incident in my community where I was, I was with one of my community partners. So we say partners as someone we worked with. Um, I've learned being outside of Peace Corps, I'll say like my partner and people don't understand. They're like, oh, and maybe do you have something to tell us? And I was like, no, like this is the person I worked with. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we had gone to like a, a trumpet fair and basically a group of men, because Moldova is a very segregated society. So, I mean, not only I would argue racially, but also just gender wise, like men and women don't mix with one another unless they're married. Um, at least that was my experience. Like you never like if two if a guy and a girl went to hang out and have a drink, like they wouldn't do that. Yeah, it's very interesting. But so we were sitting down at a table and everyone was drinking, and all the women were on one side and all the men were on the other. And they in effect started making jokes about trying to lure me somewhere. And I didn't completely even understand what was happening because they were just speaking at like a level and like, um, a pace that I wasn't accustomed to and I think they were mixing it with Russian but I just noticed that all of the women became very uncomfortable and all the men were laughing 
And, but long story short, I guess they were trying to say they were going to like lure me to some secluded place for, I'm assuming, a nefarious purpose. And then my partner the next day, like we had this really emotional conversation where she was just like, you know, something ever happened to you. Like I would take full responsibility. And I think like once I understood like the magnitude of that threat and that it was a bit of a constant, um, because for some reason or another, like men in my community would always be like, let's go camping, which Angela knows Moldovans don't camp. Like that's not a cultural thing. Like, um, and also, frankly, I say this with great respect, we were already in Peace Corps. Like, I didn't need to be more in Peace Corps. Yeah, <laughs> y'all, just... y'all were already roughing it. <laughs> my, my little, in my little Khrushcheva, my little apartment that was built during the time of Khrushchev. Um, Do you know what I really sometime... want right now is no bathroom. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Angela knows that one month I didn't have hot water, you know. <laughs> She knows it's a long time. Used to be showering in the Capitol. (laughs) Times were rough. And I think that was like a moment I really did sit down because it was, I was still having water issues. That was happening. There was just a lot. And I was like, my sanity is being tested in a way that it really shouldn't be. But also I'm someone who again is tenacious to a fault. So I was like, I'm going to finish because that's what I'm going to do. And I'm a finisher and I finish things. And I now understand and appreciate, as I said, during our mid-service conference, you know, there's no nobility in a parrot victory. Um, There's no nobility. And for those who are listening and who may not know, because I recently learned the phrase, a parrot victory, it's a Greek term. It's like you've won the battle, but you have so many wounds that have been inflicted on you. It's like you've lost. And so, and that would pretty much sum up, I think, in part, my Peace Corps experience. It's like, yeah, I completed it. And yeah, I have these, like, you know, stories that I can share, but there was a lot of, like, mental trauma that was associated with it. And I genuinely wonder, like, was it worth it to be able to have my DLS? Go ahead, Mark. I was going to say thank I was going to say thank you for explaining because I was feeling embarrassed to ask. No. <laughs> <laughs> Shake my head like you know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I'm glad. (laughs) No, sorry. It's okay. No, I I love that so much. And I, well, I can relate to that because although you and I had very different experiences, it was very hard because I'm similar to you where I didn't want to just leave. But I also was wondering, is what I'm going to leave with greater than kind of the wounds like you mentioned, right? And I think that, now because it's the first time since Peace Corps started there are no active volunteers due to the pandemic and then we've had a you know so many things come to light as far as um, what black and brown volunteers have been dealing with then sexual assault all of these different things and again not to completely um, say that Peace Corps is worthless or anything like that but just kind of a lot of things are coming to light right um, it's a beautiful form yes exactly yeah and so yeah I think yeah it was always that question like am I going to leave feeling proud am I going to leave feeling good are the wounds going to be greater like you like you just said and so and you mentioned mental trauma that traumatic experience and that a lot of people like who don't go through Peace Corps or even like other types of abroad programs that are abroad they don't necessarily realize what can happen when you're like outside of your comfort zone you don't you may have support, you may not. 
and talk a little bit more about how your perspective of your own health, wellness, like mental health, emotional health really transformed through those experiences? Like what did you really take away from that to now bring to where you are currently? Oh, that's such an excellent question. I think one, and this is something I was told by my mentor before I departed, was Peace Corps gives you an extraordinary and inordinate amount of time to think. Um, So, (laughs) you know, you're going to be thinking out there. Oh, whether you are in the Republic of Moldova, whether you are in Peace Corps Indonesia, you know, or more Peace Corps Vanuatu. And so I think the first step of my mental health journey was being aware of the fact that I was not okay and owning the fact that I was not okay and not being ashamed of the fact that I was not okay. And I think there is a culture that comes about of like this no complaint culture. And this is something I think I was able to articulate better because I read Michelle Obama's Becoming, which is a book I would highly recommend. And she said something very poignant in the first section about her mother recognizing that she was in a bad class. And she goes, my mother understood the difference between whining and distress. And I think we live in a world where people conflate those two to a point where it's actually dangerous. Like sometimes people like are complaining unquote. And even then, like, I think people have a right to express when they're upset about something. And I think something is wrong. And there's this mentality, particularly in Peace Corps, but probably another, you know, I'd say in the professional world, you see, you definitely see it as an attorney, this whole like, well, if you're quote complaining, that means like you're lazy, or you're not working hard, or, you know, it's the person, there's a trophy for the person who doesn't complain the most. And I'm like, what is this trophy worth? Because it's not worth my sanity. It's not worth my health. And so I would say that was kind of my first step in my mental journey. And then just kind of really unpacking my feelings and understanding what was happening around me. And just giving myself forgiveness and empathy. Because I think I for sure am very hard on myself. And I think we all are. Like we're our own biggest critics. And so just being comfortable with the fact that like you're not okay and you don't need to be pretend to be okay and then I'd say the next step is being conscious of who is around you and the energy that they bring so something I would like to shout out which I will always shout out out, but I really do appreciate I felt that you were very much an advocate an extraordinary empathetic listener to the issues that I was experiencing in Moldova whether they were work related whether they were race related or what have you and if we're being frank, a lot of volunteers and some other members of the organization were not. And I think you have to, you know, it's a term that's become part of the dominant lexicon. You can't let people gaslight you. And you have to be aware of who is and just remove yourself from those environments. So it's like, oh, I'm in pain and you don't recognize my pain. This isn't healthy. I don't want to be near you. Yeah, that's, I love that. And I'm so, I'm, I appreciate it. I'm thankful that I could be a support to you and continue to. Um, I, and that's such a great, it's amazing. Like we, you learn this lesson abroad, but you really can apply it to any, any aspect of your life. Like you said, if you're an attorney, whatever profession you have, whatever your situation is and energy, I think is such a great word because it's so true. Like people can just be giving you this negativity or gaslighting you, whatever they're doing. And you notice once that they're, once they're gone, like something shifts Mm -hmm. and you're like, you're like, okay, 
So that's that's what I needed to do. And and I really I'm glad you brought that up because because we are like a health and wellness podcast. Sometimes we get so caught up in our physical bodies and and that sort of aspect of health and what we eat, which, of course, is extremely important. But I love just the energy and knowing that the relationships we have and we choose to have also are like they make up the core, our core values and how we stay healthy, too. Absolutely. So now I want to know. So you had that experience in Moldova and tell us a little bit more about your work in Greece, because I think a lot of people would be interested to hear about that, too. Yes. So I decided, so initially, so a lot of us, when we leave a Peace Corps, we do these quote COS strips. COS is close of service. By all means, if there's an acronym that I'm, call me out on acronyms because I'm bad with that. And so initially I was going to bike across Europe because I like made this friend and she was really awesome. And she biked from Vienna to Romania. So I was like, oh, I'm going to bike from Romania to England. And then I decided I would rather work with asylum seekers um, how I went from point A to point B, I don't know. Uh, but that's just how I am. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I want to work with the sales <laughs> And so there's a bit of a story of how I landed at this particular organization, which we can save for another day. But I worked, and I'm going to give them a shout out, with this great organization called Cora, Cora Asylum Support, K-H-O-R-A, Asylum Support Team. And they have a nonprofit side that helps like feed people who are asylum seekers, and then they have the legal side, which helps with legal, um, with legal inquiries and gaining, you know, refugee status in the in the EU. So for those who may not know, there's the term people kind of have issues with, but there's a large asylum seeker population in Greece and in Italy specifically because that are coming from different African countries and from the Middle East and pursuant to EU law they have to apply for asylum in the first country of which they dock, which because of geography in the Mediterranean will be Greece and Italy. And I worked with people who were coming from the Democratic Republic of Congo, people who are coming from Iran, people who are coming from Syria, and they were just absolutely extraordinary. And just working with them every day, working with the team that I worked with. So we had people who were Canadian, people who were French, people who were English, people who were Italian, and everyone was exceptional. It's unequivocally one of the best work environments I've ever been in. And just, you know, documenting stories and gathering evidence and helping people prepare for their interviews with Greek authorities was, it was just a very rewarding experience. And I was, and it solidified that this is what I wanted to inevitably do, even if I had to take different routes to get there professionally. And just the people, again, that I worked with, I can't speak highly of them enough. Um, one of them, I'll give her a shout out. Uh, she started a nonprofit called Move in Generations. You can find them on Instagram. And everyone is just wonderful. So yeah. Wow, that, I love that. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. And so coming from, you know, Greece and then back to the US and and then working again as an attorney, tell us a little bit about that transition and like what it was it what you expected because I know there was a lot going on in Moldova and then how was that to be back in LA? Well, it definitely kind of going back to the mental health and wellness and just being aware of yourself. It definitely transitioning back into a traditional nine to five workspace was a lot more difficult than I realized it would be. And even I remember, so before I left, I'd asked a friend who was back in the United States before I was. I'm sorry, my voice, like, I feel like it sounds strange. Um, It's gorgeous. Thank you. you. (laughs) Um, 
when I got back to the United States or I called a friend and I was like, what's America like? Because, you know, we've been gone for so long. And because Me Score is 27 months and I was gone. It's between 23 and 27, no, 24 and 27 months. And my friend was like, America is loud. And I thought that was such an interesting observation. But sure enough, I got off the plane at LAX and it was sensory overload. I felt like I couldn't breathe. Like there were cars and there were loud buses and honking. There were all these things. Like I honestly just like, and I had to be really like astute because I didn't have a cell phone. So I had to look for my friend. But transitioning back into like work, I think I definitely needed more time to adjust. And I also think I should have just like prepared myself more. Even something as rudimentary as like sitting somewhere for eight hours every day and focusing my energy and ability to do that. Like I just, I didn't realize how, even though I think that act in and of itself is slightly unnatural, how natural it once came to me because I did it all the time. And then in Moldova, I just was not sitting somewhere for eight hours a day every day. And it was a bit of an adjustment. So yeah, I guess that, I don't know if that answered your question. Was it like unnatural or it was just like you had to get used to it? I definitely like had to get used to it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say, yeah. And even just like being in fluorescent lighting all the time. Like yeah. that's just, it really does affect just like your senses and your aptitude for productivity. And now that I think I'm aware of that going back into work, I think I'll be much better. But there were all these, I didn't realize how much I needed to transition and adjust and decompress before I went back into the workforce. Did because you, I, did you change from like staring, like you, were you staring at screens in Moldova? Probably not as much, right? No, <laughs> except for when we were bored and like watching our computers and Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so yes, I, like I left Peace Corps on July 24th and the same day I landed in Greece, I arrived back in the United States on August 30th to begin work as an attorney on September 30th. And so mm-hmm. I had like no time to decompress. That's, quick. That's real quick. Yeah. And then like I had to find an apartment, I had to buy a vehicle, I had to do all these things. And to answer the question about writing. Um, so writing has always been like in the back of my head. I've been told that I was a good writer for a very long time. Like it, it just came to me that's something that's always come to me naturally that I've been a natural storyteller like something I've heard repeatedly over the years everyone's like you know Lauren Bimmy or Princess as some people call me they're like she tells the best stories <laughs> like she just tells the best story and I'm like well do I um and so and it's funny because I'm writing an article about this but how the writing came to be was last year I it was actually because of Harry and Megan so Harry and Meghan had left their senior positions at the monarchy. I'm a big royalist. So everyone was like, this is like the abdication. <laughs> and it was like global news, which now seems like it was 12 years ago. Yeah. It was a good friend of mine named Daryl um, S. Uh, we won't put his whole name on the podcast. He had wrote on my Facebook wall and he was like, well, we're all just waiting for your opinion. Like, we're all just waiting for your opinion. And so I'd had another article that I had said I wanted to submit to publishers. And it took me about like a week because I had been working, I was busy. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to create a Medium account and I'm just going to write 
and I'm just going to do this. And, and that's literally how like the writing got started because I, because Daryl asked me like, I want your opinion on my, literally it was that impetus. Like, and that's how we got started. And that was the first article I posted. And we just, we kept going since. Yeah, Daryl's a character on this podcast. I feel like <laughs> people have heard his name quite often. He's the he's uh he's Angel's partner in the other sense of the word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we love Daryl. We know Daryl's my boo. Yes. Um oh that's interesting. I never knew that because just similar like how you were talking about uh when you first got interested in law, I was thinking that writing kind of planted the seed earlier on, which I'm sure it it came up in school and other things like that too. But that's funny because I didn't know that. And yeah, so now you're writing articles on Medium. And where can people find you as on Medium? Um, So they can find me at allurenbumi.medium.com. So that's O-L-O-R-U-N-B-U-N-M-I.medium.com. But my project for this weekend and this week is to get my website up which will be oluranbumi.com. And I've already bought the domain for that. So we're excited to make that. When do you, when do you think that's going to be up? Because we probably won't post this until for like a month or so. Okay. Well, by the time you post it, it should be up. Okay, cool, cool. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll have that in the show link. And is there like one article that you're particularly proud of that we can guide people to? Oh, that's a good one. Um, let's see. My most shared article was about the Peace Corps. Um, that was, but I'd say the article that I'm most proud of, it's so I've started a Woman Crush Wednesday series and both those articles that I wrote about those two women were, I was really proud of, but mainly because I was writing about two exceptional like women. Cough, I'll be probably writing about a third soon. Um, <laughs> and, but one thing I really loved was the nomenclature of dream big. That was probably, and it was about basically this misguided notion that we have that you're supposed to dream big because really children have natural imaginations and we're kind of shackled by the expectations of society when we don't fit a certain phenotype of what success should look like. And so I wrote about how really it's not that we need to dream big it's that other people need to stop confining us to whatever box they want to put us in. Yeah, I love that one. Well, I love them all, but I did I did really like that. So we will have to link link that for sure. Cool. And so now tell us, so we you came back to the US, you worked as an attorney, and what brought you to where to Turkey where you are currently? All right then. So I was laid off because of the COVID pandemic. Um, so solidarity to everyone who's experienced any type of economic distress, but I was in a very fortunate position that I accumulated savings and well, let's actually back it up a bit if we're going to be completely transparent. So I, again, I'm literally writing an article about this, like this weekend, but by the time this, um, goes live, it'll already be written. I had an impetus for change in January that some things didn't go the way I thought they would. And that's, you know, that's an off. Uh, camera story but I was like okay I need to make a change to my life and I need to do all these things that I said I wanted to do because I'd come back to California and I was working you know at a good job and I was getting great experience but I knew it wasn't what I really wanted I knew I wanted to be international since I wanted to work 
in the public sector, or at least be in the private sector working for the public. And I definitely wanted to work with asylum seekers and refugees. So, and I wasn't doing any of those things. So I made a plan in January, kind of, you know, the goals. And I said, okay, I'm going to become licensed in the UK. I'm going to take the first exit part of the exam in July. And then I'm going to take a second part in January, 2021. And then by August, 2021, I was like, I'll have substantive legal experience in the US, then I'm going to move back abroad. And then COVID happened and ruined all of our lives. Um, and so when I got laid off, I kind of just like, you know, I, my hours were decreasing. I'm an attorney. So we have something called billable hours. And to put this in perspective, for those who are non-lawyers, in January, my billable hours were 160. By June, they were 50. So we, we have a 110 hour difference. And you just economically cannot keep someone on your payroll who's not making money. It made sense. But I was in a fortunate position that I had a bit of savings. And after about two weeks um, of just decompressing, because I never did that, remember, post-Peace Corps. And it was coincidentally about the year anniversary of, of the time we had left. And I literally sat at my desk in my apartment in Los Angeles. And I looked around. And I was like, there is nothing anchoring me to the city. There's nothing anchoring me to the state. And there's nothing anchoring me to the United States. I was like, I just don't, like, my life starts now. I don't want to, like, LA is a great city. I think it's one of the greatest cities in the world. People fight me on that. I wish you luck. Um, but, <laughs> you know, but I was like, it's time to go. And I did a Google search of where could we go? Because, you know, it wasn't nobody taking Americans. Well, you know, <laughs> didn't nobody like us. They were like, no, the doors are closed. And I was like, this is fam. <laughs> but I, I see you. <laughs> and Turkey had literally just opened its borders in July. And this is August. And I was laid off officially on July 17th. But I guess my paperwork says the 16th. So they just couldn't get a hold of me the day before, I guess. And it'd be like that sometimes. <laughs> I had given notice to my landlord on August 11th. And I had bought tickets to Turkey like the following week. And by September 26th, I was on a plane. Yes. Damn. I love that story. That's great. If that doesn't yeah. inspire you, then I don't know what will. People. <laughs> And now I'm here in Istanbul. We can hear the prayer call in the background. I don't know if you guys can hear it. Yes, I just heard that. Oh, I think that's gorgeous. I talked to you one night and I was able to to hear it. It's so yeah. beautiful. That's amazing because all I have are horns and sirens in the background. <laughs> my bedroom. Yeah, Broadway and Everett, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite the same. And so how, so with all of the travels that you've had, and I know you've been there fairly like almost three four months now what yeah. are your impressions of turkey and what um what do you like about it well i absolutely love it um when so when i first arrived turkey didn't have any restrictions because their covid rates had gone down um now they've gone back up so everything's closed down but even with that said it's a beautiful city i remember my very first impression of the city because my flight was five hours late taking off from los angeles my father america was trying to hold me hostage um, <laughs> we finally arrived in Amsterdam. Then we were put on a direct flight to Turkey because Americans are blocked from the entire Schengen region. So we couldn't go through another airport. It's a little embarrassing, I won't lie. 
And so we get to, I get to Turkey like five, seven hours after I was supposed to. And my first impression was just how ancient the city was because the streets were so small. So a good portion of the streets like in the neighborhoods are so small that like they're all one-way streets because they were clearly built during a time where the concept of a two-way street didn't really exist. And there's this tower near my apartment called the Galata Tower that it was built in 1349. So it's just an exceptionally like beautiful and ancient city in a way that I've never seen. But I've had wonderful experiences here. Like people have been friendly. Um, the food is delicious. It's well seasoned. Um, <laughs> what are you talking about? We have salt here. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you, in Istanbul, they don't even have salt and pepper on the tables unless it's a place where foreigners frequent. Oh, because interesting. They're like, the food is seasoned. And I'm like, okay, girl. Like, <laughs> That's awesome. What's the, what, what's, the, what's the hot spice? What's, uh, what are they putting on stuff? I don't even know what it is. It's like some secret like, spice, but it's delicious. I couldn't even tell you. Like, That's honestly, the beauty of it. Just, <laughs> right? I, it's just... I love Turkish food. People have been, because I'm someone, and it was an apprehension I had, particularly being in Moldova and not just being a hostile environment as a Black woman, to just put it mildly. Like, as we discussed earlier, and there were just so many instances in Moldova where my mere existence put my safety in jeopardy. Like, I remember during our training, um, we were in a, a village. So when we were training, we used to live in one village, but we'd go to another one uh, for practice school. Or not practice school uh, for training technical training and i remember and this was like my first memory of knowing being black and mobile that was going to be a problem and i was standing minding my own magical business as i want to do and this drunk man like they had walked past us and then they come back and he basically like come approaches me in a standing like almost at, at arms, like he's going to strike me and just yelling at me in Romanian when I've done absolutely nothing. And mind you, I'm like the only black woman in the group and everyone's like on pins and needles because it was early in training. None of us spoke enough Romanian to translate. Mm. And I'm just sitting here standing there thinking, if he strikes me, I will be on CNN. And that's how this will go down. Like, I'm not the one. You better, I don't know what you heard about them other Americans. <laughs> <laughs> but not this little piggy girl <laughs> and so um going from an environment like that where i consistently had those types of situations um coming to turkey where everyone sees them visibly foreign and no one really cares like if anything people actually continuously try to speak to me in french because they think like i'm francophone and then they get really like surprised they're like oh you're American. So yeah, I've loved Turkey thus far. That's great. Yeah, I'm glad that you have a much better environment than than what you previously experienced for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we kind of just folk Moldova sounds gross now. No, well because <laughs> remember how I said we were gonna do some good and bad? We just like stuck on the bad. <laughs> No, it's not. But, you know, we get to tell it how it is. But yeah, there are some true. great things as well. 
what let me let me be balanced because it's true we kind of just like it's like i need you to guide me that's what i'm like angela guide me <laughs> i know and i didn't do i'm like uh, that sounds She's right like, okay Maldo- moldova sucks tell us more turkey <laughs> no. <laughs> no. i actually on uh, was just video chatted to so i started like this academic success program in my community because there were kids who went to go to english-speaking universities and the one leadership scale so i had a leadership club and an academic success club and one of my star pupils if you will although they were all stars um we worked to get him into university in vienna where he is now a second year student and he's in an english-speaking program studying finance and business management and he was recently accepted to the erasmus program so he has a dual nationality with romania and erasmus is a program for eu uh, students to study um, and do an internship in a different eu country and so we were working on his resume and his cover letter this month, and he's going to be leaving for Cyprus soon. Yay! That's awesome that you still continue to work with him. Absolutely, I told him, yeah, that he could always count on me, and I really meant that because, like, I definitely remember when I was younger, people were like, "Oh, you can always count on me," and then they like disappeared, and I was like, "Hmm." So I endeavored to be someone that I would have needed, and so and my girls actually. <laughs> This is one of my most sacred moments. So when everything kind of popped off in the United States, or as I say, the revolution this past spring, one of my uh, former students, one of my kids, because I was a community, I really should have said this, I totally did not. This is clearly unscripted, because I did not. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> so, fine. So I, was, I was a community and organizational development volunteer in the Republic of Moldova. That, that probably would have been a really good thing to mention. And I worked with um, a library, I worked with a vocational school, I worked um, with different schools in the city, and I worked with an NGO, and basically did whatever was asked of me, and was always with kids. And so one of my, so I'm not like a teacher, but I did have these students. And one of my students, when everything was like happening in the United States, she sent me a conversation that was discussing racism. And then she sent me something that like Adriana Lima, um, you know, the former Victoria's Secret model uh, post about Black Lives Matter. And she goes, have you seen this? <laughs> and I was like, yes, dear. I'm very much aware <laughs> of what's happening. And but it was great that, so I said, because she was like, well, what, what's happening? And something that always gave me hope about Moldova was their young people. Like, they're people who were born, I would say, like, in 2000 like 1998 2000 beyond because they i think people before were kind of brought up still like in the mindset of the former soviet union let's say diplomatically and i don't think that bodes well to integrate into the 21st century mm-hmm. but the younger kids are just like no the world isn't what you told us it was and we want to be in the world as it is and so I sent her this video about uh, systemic racism. Uh, and I was like, so this is why people, because when I, something that I struggled with, but I think I really got through to the kids I spoke to, I was like, America has problems. And you really shouldn't put it on this pedestal because I think so many people in developing countries do that because they're, uh, they have a very curated view of what America looks like. You know, there are people I've heard who think that America and the United Kingdom are paved, the streets are paved with gold. Like they really believe that because they've never had another representation. 
And so I used to tell them like, America has problems. It's like Moldova has other problems, but America has problems too. And so I sent her this video on systemic racism. And I was like, this is, remember when I would tell you that people get treated differently, you know, based on where they're from, based on the color of their skin. Well, this is a really good video explaining this. And she goes, I don't agree. I don't agree anybody should be treated racist. I don't like racist at all. And she goes, racism is bad. She goes, I know you experienced it in Rosina. I'm like, thank you, sweetie. Um, I guess I was also stationed in Rosina in the public things that should have been said at the beginning. No, it's save, not. save the best for last. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I still I speak to some of my kids like intermittently. Um, there were some families like the kid I mentioned who's doing Erasmus or tour. Um, his family was really took me in and treated me like one of their own. I love them dearly. And one of my former work partners, Tatiana, she called me on Christmas. Aw, that's so beautiful. She, me. she was like, I'll never forget you. I'll never forget you. She was like my gem. That was my girl. That was my ride or die. One time I think she tried to sell me to the tax auditor. But that's another story. That's still my girl, though. That's still my G, though. <laughs> no, I love it. So that's that's the good. And I feel like overall with Peace Corps, what I could say positive that connects to what you just said is just there, there's those certain relationships that you do make, just like any time in life through any experience that those always kind of carry you through. And you're like, okay. I have all of these wounds, but at least I have certain relationships and you made such an amazing impact, you know, and then teaching people too, you know, about racism, about education, all of these different things. Um, so they're lucky that they, that they got you. I was just going to say, these kids are so lucky that not only do they have, um, a great teacher, but someone who's Frank as well. Someone who's, who's not going to sugarcoat it. Be like, no, you know, the world is great. You can, you can make it, but just be like, Hey, racism is a thing. Here's a video. Let's talk about it. You, ha you have any questions? You got my info. And that's, that's so awesome that you're doing that for the kids. That's awesome. Thank you. When we were in Peace Corps and the video, this is America came out. And I like took out my phone and I was like, we're going to discuss the symbolism in this music video. Yeah. That's, that was a, probably a whole week. Could have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At first they were like, I was like, what is it saying? And they were like, it's saying this is America. <laughs> and I was like, yes. <laughs> I know you hear that phrase, <laughs> but let's dig deeper. <laughs> yeah. Like when I left my kids, um, I, cause you know, kind of, I think just Eastern European mentality, they're a bit stoic um, emotionally. I like cried profusely, like profusely. Um, it was like ugly gulps of tears and they were just like, cause they gave me like this really beautiful letter telling me how like our sessions, like when we would meet, cause we basically, it was the most, that leadership club was the most consistent thing I did in Peace Corps. And so I saw them pretty much every week for the entire two years. And they were like, sometimes it was educational and sometimes it was just good for the soul. And there was a photo that, you know, three of us, because we were had like different people over the years, but there was like a consistent group of four and three. And there was a photo we took at their graduation and they printed it and gave it to me in a frame um, with this like letter. And I just like lost it and like cried. And when I saw my um, one of my other library partners, who was just, I used to call her like my Soviet sweetheart, <laughs> mainly just because like she, 
I mean, obviously the Soviet times were hard, but I would just ask her about it sometimes. And she goes, girl, I was in Leningrad. I was fine. I was like, boom. (laughs) So, but I love these like photos of her and her youth. Um, And she just like is in kind of like these militaristic uniforms, but she just looks happy and full of life. And when I last saw her, I also like cried profusely. Um, And I'd probably say my my most saccharine memory of leaving um, is I had this neighbor, my Baba Valentina, who I really need to call. It was, I called her like in April or something. She goes, I always eat this for the Corona. Like, did you hear about the Corona? And I was like, <laughs> you're like, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I heard something. <laughs> she was like, a great line. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> she was like trapped in Russia um, because she had uh, some of her sons were working in Russia. And she was uh she had limited mobility like she had a serious water retention issue and it inhibited her ability to walk and on my when i was leaving my flat and uh i banged on her door and i opened it because she always gave me she was like you can just open my door because it was so hard for her to move um and my last memory of that apartment building is her like running towards me um as i'm leaving could just say goodbye and then our tour's mom took me to the bus station because Angela knows two to four miles running late. And I had like seven bags <laughs> and we were on these like routieras. And a routiera <laughs> is a discontinued um, 1980s or 1970s minivan at best. Mm-hmm. Um, that is meant for 10 to 15 people, which no joke will hold about 40. Um, complete like we'll all be <laughs> no joke that was Man. my first routine ride that's like it's like losing your virginity you don't forget that oh <laughs> sorry if I should have put that on the park. oh no yeah you can say that <laughs> but um so I begged this man to let me on the routine like no joke because he's like it's literally two minutes till I was like I got to get on the bus I've just got to leave and so we slammed my suitcase and we actually had to stop because um, the door had popped open. I put my suitcases <laughs> up in the front. I'm holding them. Someone gives me a seat because I probably looked as distressed as I felt. There's some quite inebriated man who's like leering over me who reeks of alcohol. Um, I'm pretty sure there's a chicken on the bus somewhere. It's Moldova. There are no windows open. It's like 90 degrees Fahrenheit um i'm sweating profusely and and that was it i was like and this is how my time in rosina ends trip advisor one star <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah there's yeah there are incredible incredible stories from from that experience we could talk about it all day and so. No, continue. Were you going to say something? No, I just want to say, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the friendships like yourself mm-hmm. that I developed during Peace Corps, yes. which I really are just like lifelong friendships um, in ways that I don't mm-hmm. think any of us foresaw. And it's very, we're, we're all kind of thrown into this very manufactured environment. And we like became a family by, not by choice, but by, but then we just all ended up loving each other so much. And it was kind of really interesting. And people like you, people like Rebecca B. Um, there were so many people like Ashley G. I don't know if people want to like, I don't know if I'm using uh, uh, like initials. 
but there were so many extraordinary people that I met that I unequivocally, without a doubt, wouldn't have survived that experience had I not met them. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those relationships are so important. I agree, girl. I couldn't have get. I couldn't have gotten th- through it either. And okay, I want to ask you a little bit. And you've mentioned this with your what you're manifesting for 2021 about you know going um, doing projects and following through, right? Uh, but when I look at you, I see that you've accomplished so so many things and have always followed through. But I understand that that it's a personal goal of yours. But can you walk us through a little bit of maybe techniques or steps that you take? when you have a certain goal or project that you're working towards? All right, then. So I just learned that there's actually a term for it, but I had never heard of it, called reverse engineering, um, where you look at where you want to be and you take steps backwards to get yourself to that place. So we'll give the example. I said, so I was working at my firm and I knew I wanted to be working, you know, in the public sector and human rights August 2021 before 2020 killed all hope of life and and I say that with obvious respect uh, to the departed and to the ill and so I said okay I want to be here what am I doing in the interim well first I need to be present in what I'm doing and acquire as much experience as I can in my job that was number one number two I need to make myself the best candidate for the position I wanted in the future So I needed to take steps to get there. So I said, okay, I want to be licensed in the United Kingdom. So if I want to be gone August, 2021, and I know there's a two part test that's given twice a year, that means I need to be taking this in June or July, 2020, and the second part in August, 2021, to be a candidate applying for things in spring of 2021, to be gone by summer of 2021. So I would say in terms of like accomplishing goals, for me, also writing things down really helps. Like just, I wrote down and said, I wanted to read 52 books last year. That was something I did um, to mitigate anxiety because I have anxiety issues. And I said, okay, we're going to purposely focus, channel our energy in a positive way. And it's the way to do that is to read because I can't think of anything else if I'm reading the book. And I'll probably think about the book after I'm done reading the book. And so literally I just wrote down a list of goals and sure enough of which that were possible, a lot of those goals were accomplished just because I wrote them down and I hung them up on my wall. So, and it was just like this daily reminder of like, okay, what are we doing to be here? What are we doing to get there? But also being present in where you are. I think there's, I've seen it on the memes, you know, it's like, your happiness doesn't lie in your future. Like it's your present. Like you need to be present where you are to even get where you want to be. So that would be my advice if I'm so qualified to give any. It's be present, but be working towards your goals. And always remember small steps are steps in the right direction. I did um, a weight loss journey because in Moldova, we didn't have the best coping mechanisms mine involved ice cream uh carbohydrates because they were the food i recognized and times we talk um and there was house wine involved and we'll leave it at that and um i just was not at a healthy weight and i was at a weight i didn't recognize and i was at a size i didn't recognize and i was just like we need to we need to get this under control and 
particularly losing weight, it's like there has to just be consistency, even when you don't always get the result that you want. Totally. Yeah. So I, you know, now I'm down about like 33 pounds, but like there were some months, you know, I lost like three fourths of a pound. Other months, like I lost five, but I had to be consistent and just take one step every day. And so that's what the advice I would give. It's be present, write out your goals, work back from where you want to be and just be consistent and get back up every day. I love those. And I love that too, because there's, it's, I think it's great finding a balance between being present, but also knowing kind of where you want to go towards, like you said, because sometimes there's, there's a difference between knowing where you want to get to and projecting and living in the future. Like that's what we don't want. And it's like, we can be mindful. We can be in the present as hard as it is because it's like, you know, we're training our minds. We're trying to train our minds, like what you explained with reading and trying to cope with your anxiety. Right. So I love those and I'm those tips. And I hope that our listeners wrote those down and they're hanging them by their bed, by their bed stand, <laughs> their nightstand. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And okay. So we like to close out the show with a little salsa soul food question, which you've kind of hit some of these points, but we can always go back to them. So salsa represents physical activity in your life, wherever you find that. Soul is nourishing activities. And then food is your relationship with food, recipes, things you're trying, things you're avoiding kind of in your life as it relates to food. So kind of walk us through where you're at with your salsa soul food, either goals or kind of just those general categories in your life currently in Turkey. Oh, very good. So even though this month hasn't been as productive, I'm definitely still on my physical fitness journey. Um, and my goal for 2021, so as Angela mentioned, I've run two marathons. I was supposed to run a third in 2020, but as we've discussed, the world happened. And so my goal for 20, my fitness goal for 2021 is actually to be a long distance runner without stopping. So Ooh. fun story. Yeah, with quickly, with the marathons, the first marathon both of the marathons I didn't train for them as well as I should have um the first marathon I did train because when I started your girl couldn't run down the block like <laughs> like it was bad like um I remember turning I was living in Hollywood in LA this is like 2015-2016 and your girl was hyperventilating and if someone had walked by they probably would have asked if I needed an ambulance and so we started there to get to me running full city blocks without stopping, oh, which was incredible. And so I say for my fitness, my salsa, I'm walking, I'm hiking, I'm doing as much as I can within the kind of atmosphere of restrictions. And so that's like my salsa, like my fitness and where I wanna be for 2021, because I do wanna run another marathon. And I run marathons, by the way, on different, I wanna run them in different parts of the world. So I've run my marathon in Los Angeles, check, North America. Now I want to do one, um, I was going to do a, like Australia. So that'll be the third continent if I do that this year. And the I second one was seven. Moldova, right? Mm-hmm. So we've yes. done Eastern Europe. Um, yeah, she's crazy. I don't know how she did that. That, is, she did. Consi- <laughs> that is consistency for you because yes. if, anyone's, if anyone's thinking about themselves, your girl can't run down the block. Just, just, <laughs> just think about you and how you're running marathons now. Damn. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> oh, it was rough. And then funny when I was in Moldova, because so Moldova is not a, a country where there's like a culture of running and like fitness. So I would walk between my villages um, and people would stop, bless their hearts. This is part of the little story. They'd stop and they'd be like, do you need a ride? And I'd be like, no, like the purpose is to walk. Yeah. Like the purpose is to walk the 10 miles. And they're like, it's like 20 kilometers. And I was like, I know. Like, that's the point. And they're just like, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. My soul, something I'm nourishing. Like, I am continuing on my reading goals. So I think I want to hit like 60 books this year. Nice. So, but I would say just kind of being kind to myself, fulfilling my goals, and just like spreading love. Like something I've become almost violently intolerant to is just any vitriol, any just unnecessary and warranted negativity. Um, I'm just not here for it and I'm not having it. Mm-hmm. And that's just how I feel about that. Um, and so, yeah, and just kind of being a person that I would need and being a person that I like seeing in the mirror and also forgiving myself when I don't meet the standards that I set and just remember every day is a work in progress and food it's so interesting that you mentioned that so in moldova if i've given you guys a better interview um no. <laughs> i would have touched on, <laughs> on the fact that like <clears throat> something that was very difficult for a lot of us and in part i believe why angela started this podcast was we didn't have really a lot of autonomy over what we ate and like that was just an issue health-wise um, and it was an issue, I think, morale-wise, self-esteem-wise. Like, and that was really difficult. Um, I recall you having a story, Angela, about, like, there being a pig cut open and, like, you saw the cancer. Um, oh, that wasn't me, but I did hear that. Oh, okay. I wonder who I just, that was. Was that a mirror, maybe? I, it may have I been. Know. I thought it was you. Um, oh, I don't know God. why. It might as well but... have been me, so let's just say it was me. <laughs> Mark's <thing. laughs> And so um, something I've been really great and consistent with is just controlling my diet. So as of late, I did a sweet potato kind of like mash. So just doing some baked sweet potatoes, my ground beef, some sauteed onions and spinach. Um, Stuff like that has been good. I just actually did that. There's a kind of like kebab meat um, here. So I had some kebab meat. I sauteed it with some spinach and onion. And I had like some pasta and like some Cajun seasoning. Um, I can give you like, I, that's been one of the things I've been most proud of. I have made so many different types of like foods and I'm very proud of like my cooking. So yeah, that's nice. my thing. Heck yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. And tell us again. So tell us your Instagram handles because I know you have a couple. Yes. And repeat again for us your medium name. Right. So the Instagram handle you can follow me for my writing is at Writes. So I I have a unique name and my goodness gracious, someone else has my name on Instagram. And I'm oh. not going to lie to you, I kind of flipped out. <laughs> not going to lie. Like, I kind of flipped out. <laughs> and I was like, no one has the name Alurambumi. But clearly someone does. This person doesn't even post. Whatever. I've let it go. So I'm at Olurumbumi Writes. And I think by the time this, I'm going to have like a Twitter handle as well, but I don't know. I'll give it to you guys later. 
Cool. And then allureandboomy.medium.com. And by the time this is up, allureandboomy.com. So, yeah. Nice. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. I know that everyone who listens is going to be motivated and inspired by, by hearing a little bit of your story because you have so much knowledge to give. There's so much more in there. Yeah, this Aww, was this was you. a real this was a real treat, and um, it would be a shame not to have you back. So we, because because not only are you such a good storyteller, there was so you left so many little threads of that's well, that's another story. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we like, we, do not have we got we got to get deeper into those balls deep. <laughs> <laughs> Angela gave me the little like guilty look as should I say it. 